Sports Radio 1270. The Fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. Yonk, huh? I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber. The Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270. The Fan. Wet Taking your calls at 270-1270. Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament, huh? Uh-oh. You're going to need a bigger boat. I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show. We were on hiatus for a few weeks. Producer extraordinaire Bobby Rosati throwing together some best of Tim Graham shows. I was saying earlier, though, it should have just been called some of Tim Graham shows. I don't know if there is some. I guess by definition, there has to be some of it has to be better, yes. best, worse, worst. Right. Because there's not a best. There's not a worst. Without it's having not all some the same. Yeah. OK. I think you were probably liberal with. What constituted the best of the Tim Graham show? <laughs> yeah, we it's got whatever some, fit, whatever the sounded two hours. great. Yeah, fine. Yeah, whatever <laughs> was somewhat entertaining for to smash together for a two-hour show. But we're back in full force. Busy day today. We just passed one minute ago the expiration of the Major League Baseball trade deadline. We'll try to give you some updates on uh, the trades. They're still coming in. You know, things have to get processed. A lot of the stuff's been reported. We can get into that. UB football started today. Our Jonah Bronstein was out there in camp. He'll have to give us an update. He'll have some uh, Lance Leipold sound for us. No? Well, I can. We just have to pause the Periscope broadcast, too. Uh, we don't need to worry about it. You can recap. You can I'll par- just impersonate him paraphrase. in my own voice. Yeah. Chris Baker's in studio. We'll talk some Sabres today. I, even though everybody's all in on Bill's talk, Bill started training camp last week. There, there's been some news percolating here and there. Not the major news, but I think there's some potentially major news. We're going to get into that also with Matthew Fairburn, who's here in studio. Daryl Talley is going to be joining us by phone later on to give us his thoughts on what he's seen out at training camp. He's been talking with some of the defensive guys, been out there interacting with the Ed Olivers and Tremaine Edmondses, and uh, he's been around camp. He's going to join us. Looking forward to that. But a story that I think has the potential to be serious, Mitch Morse, the highest-paid center in the NFL, which – pretty much makes him the highest-paid center in NFL history. Now, of course, we'll we'll see after he collects this money if he can make it through the four-year, $44.5 million deal. But Mitch Morse, we learned today, has suffered his fourth concussion in 44 months. He suffered his first concussion against the Buffalo Bills, by the way, while he was playing for the Kansas City Chiefs week 12 of the 2015 season. So three years and eight months ago, he suffers his first concussion on record, I should also say. We don't know what his concussion issues were at Missouri. Colleges are hesitant to release that information. They don't have to. There also could be 
theoretically concussions that happen in off-season workouts, in preseason workouts, because you don't have to do injury reports until the season begins. And you don't have to report those either, right, obviously? Well, I think it, internally in you regard. do, but you don't have to, like, not to us, not to the public. So at least four concussions in the past 44 months for Mitch Morse. He's in the concussion protocol, and obviously a very important part of the Bills' season, an anchor to the the anchor to the offensive line with the money that he's being paid. Uh, Matt, you even covered Mitch Morse in college. You don't recall any concussion issues, though, there, huh? But they don't have to tell you. Not the year I covered him. I'm fairly certain he played every game. He was playing through injuries a lot, but never head injuries as far as we know. Like you said, I, that was five years ago now, um, that, or six years ago that I covered him, and five that he was last in college. And there could have been any number of things that could have happened in the four years, five years that he was there, given his redshirt year. There could have been stuff from high school. You just never know. But even just four in the last four years is a high number for a guy that is essentially banging his head into somebody on every play. And it happened in the first padded practice because he missed Sunday. That's a good point. And they were wishy-washy about you know, whether it was a rest day or, or what it was. Then he missed Tuesday after a day off, and he missed today as well. So that's three days in a row he's missed with an off day in between. And that generally would speak to – I think once you get to, what, a week is when you start calling it a major concussion – but now they're going to have to be smart about how they monitor him because if one padded practice did that, given his history, there's quite a bit to be concerned about, not only for his long-term future, his health, all that, what it means for him after football, but uh, you know, in the immediate for the Bills on the field, behind Mitch Morris, it's ugly at center. So you, know, you paid this guy a ton of money for a reason, and you know, if these concussion issues continue to pop up, as they have early in his career, then you know that's a, a pretty big blow to that offensive line. And Spencer Long is out also, so you're down to the third center, who is Russell Bodine. Uh, the Bills clearly weren't happy with him anyway, or they wouldn't have gone out and signed Mitch Morris and Spencer Long. So now you're down to Russell Bodine, who has been uh, a disappointment, I think, last year. They brought him in thinking he was going to do more, and he's also coming off of an injury. Also, it should be noted, uh, just as we were coming on uh, today, uh, the Bills uh, released Jeremiah Cyril's with an injury settlement. So that's uh, a, just a, I guess, relatively speaking, a, a minor development, but still a development uh, on the offensive line. Let's give uh, Mitch Morse's concussion history just for the record. So he suffers his first in 2015 in Week 12 against the Buffalo Bills. He misses the game Week 13 that year for the Kansas City Chiefs. This is his rookie season, 2015. Uh, he plays in the final four regular season games, but leaves the regular season finale. The announcement in the press box is for a, cu- a concussion evaluation. So is it the same concussion? Is it a different concussion that he suffered a few weeks earlier against the Bills? I think the fact that he was cleared to play, it's we should count that as a another concussion. Either that or we're dealing with serious malpractice, right? Right. Uh, so Mitch Morse then misses both Chiefs playoff games in 2015, carrying over to the what would be the 2015 postseason. 
in the early months of 2016. He then has a clean 2016 as far as a concussion is concerned and a clean 2017. But in 2018, last year, he misses six weeks. That's a that's a major concussion issue to have to miss six weeks um, of that regular season. He comes back, he plays in the playoffs, and of course he's signed, and as Matt Fairburn of The Athletic mentions, uh, he in the very first padded practice, he suffers another concussion with the Buffalo Bills. There are brain concerns here. There are football concerns here. And even if this is something that Mitch Moore says, ah, it's no big deal, I'm going to keep playing. Um, and that's not to say that, that that should be an assumption. This is a guy who was a 2011 academic All-Big 12, 2012 SEC academic honor roll, 2013 SEC academic honor roll. This is a smart guy. Um, you think back on uh, John Urschel and uh, his uh, coming out of Canisius High School and, and the brainiac that he is and retiring early before uh, the NFL uh, impacted his brain too much over concussion issues. You have CTE concerns long term. But let's say that let's say that Mitch Morse isn't going to think that way. Even so, this is a major story, I think, because of his importance to that offensive line. And the chemistry that he needs to uh, build, not only with the two guys to his right and the two guys to his left at guard and tackle on either side of him, but also with Josh Allen. He missed uh, minicamp workouts, the offseason workouts, with uh, a core injury surgery. That was considered not to be that big a deal. But now we're talking about mispractices in July going into August and game there's a game next week against the indianapolis colts at new era field so i don't know i'll bring this uh, open for for jonah bronstein uh, or also uh, chris baker here in studio your thoughts on on a concern level uh, you know there's going to be some fans out there that say hey let's not be alarmist on this but a concussion is a concussion there's a reason the nfl has a protocol for this and this is at least number four in the last three years eight months well, that was my initial reaction to hearing that news this morning about Morris's concussion was the relationship and the chemistry that he has to get going, the rhythm that he wants to get going with Josh Allen. It seems to me, now I'm not a football you know, maven by any means here, but it seems like that's a very important piece of the puzzle, especially for a young quarterback in his second year. Everyone's expecting him to take a very big jump. You won't talk to anybody in that organization that would look at that and say, uh that would look at that situation and say, it's not that big a deal. Everybody said, everybody was saying in the summer, yes, it's important. We're not worried about it because we still have training camp to go. But yeah, whether it's Sean McDermott, Josh Allen, Mitch Morse himself, Brian Dable, everybody down the line would talk about how critically important it is for Josh Allen to get reps with Mitch Morse. Also with Cole Beasley also, but I mean, maybe those three guys, most of all, of the you got these additions and what you want your offense to be. I think that those are maybe the three most important guys that need to be out there and working together every day. Yeah, and I don't think it was groundbreaking that that's you know the connection that I made, but that was the first connection that sure. I made was the Josh Allen Mitch Morse relationship, and now it's stunted, perhaps. And you know, you want the guy to be well, obviously, but selfishly wanting to see the quarterback do well—that's the first thing I thought of. And it's you know. 
here we are now again. It's like the the center position for the Bills the past couple of years has been kind of a trouble spot for them. And it's such a it's like goalie in hockey. It's like so important that maybe people don't think that it's the most important thing, but it's a really important position as far as I can tell watching football. And it's one that has, I mean, very small sample size, but today the defensive line ate the offensive line alive. It was the worst day for the offensive line that we've seen. And, you know, yesterday the offensive line had a decent day, but that was with Spencer Long out there. I mean, if you're down to Russell Bodine at center, you're in trouble. I don't care how much money you spent on the rest of the offensive line or draft picks or whatever else. If you have, especially with Searles gone, right? I mean, you know, that was I'm saying that a chunk of people because you know, people don't necessarily pay too much attention to the offensive line. They're just like, just tell me if they're going to be okay or not. I don't know the names. I can't even necessarily. I'm, I'm just saying the average fan out there, just tell me who's lining up on Sunday and if they're going to be any good. But yeah, Jeremiah Searles is a name you may have heard. Uh, the Bills weren't counting on him this year. Let's put it that way. And they shouldn't be counting on Russell Bodine. They weren't not. counting on Russell Bodine either. No. Uh, and Russell Bodine went from being a long shot to make this 53-man roster to they might have to keep this guy. And if he's their starting center, I think they're going to be in a lot of trouble, which they knew that going into the offseason, which is why they banked on Mitch Morse and paid him all this money. So, yeah, like you said, you can maybe it's too early to be ringing the alarm bells, but at the same time, you know, every week that passes without him on the field is time he's not getting, not only with Josh Allen, but the rest of this offensive line. The one constant or the one thing going into the training camp that was supposed to be settled was center. Everything else was up for grabs as far as competition goes, but center was going to be okay. And now there's definitely some doubt there because of even if he comes back on Friday or next week or two weeks from now, he's now more likely to get a concussion, you know, based on all the research smarter people than me have done. So, you know, he's now more susceptible and he's already proven to be pretty susceptible to, to head injuries. So he's 27 years old. You know, this isn't, we're not talking about a guy who's got his fourth concussion and he's 34. You know, this is a guy who's had, who had a concussion, his rookie season in the NFL and we don't even know. We can't say for sure that that's his first concussion he's ever had. That's his first documented concussion. He, we, who knows what happened in high school? What happened at Mizzou, where where, HIPAA, where where schools will hide behind HIPAA laws to keep injury information from you? It's only once you get to the NFL and for gambling purposes, right. really, that the that you find out what somebody's injury is. And concussions are always. Uh, an asterisk on those because you don't know if the guy's being honest with the medical staff. There are guys who might say, you know what? I do have a concussion. I'm not going to report it. We've seen all these mm-hmm. stories uh, uh, where guys are like, I don't want to be thought less of by my teammates or I need to stay on the field for my job. Um, you know, it's not as though Mitch Morse had anything handed to him when he en- entered the NFL. He was a, a left tackle when he was at Mizzou and he comes into the NFL, earns his job as a center and then becomes the highest paid He's going to feel maybe an obligation to stay out there and his money. I mean, I, I'm I'm projecting here. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know Mitch Morse well enough. I'm just saying there are all kinds of reasons why concussions. There's nothing definitive about somebody's concussion history. Well, and there's also I think the fact that he plays center. You know, you're not talking about a quarterback or even a wide receiver or somebody like that where. You know, you could say, yeah, he's had a few concussions, but 
he's not going to get hit that often, and maybe he can avoid this in the future. Maybe he's just had bad luck. Mitch Morse is hitting his head on each and every snap that he takes. I mean, that's what you do as an offensive lineman in the NFL. And if his head was so susceptible to a concussion that he suffered one in his first padded practice, and it was a little weird when they talked about how they diagnosed it. It sounded like it might have had some, you know, delayed effects that, you know, right Sean away. Sean McDermott said that he they found out about it yesterday, or he came to the right. training staff to talk about him yesterday, meaning that he didn't, it wasn't a, a an immediate. wasn't clear cut, so who knows if he diagnosis. finished out, you know, practice with it or if it was something that that night or the next morning he right. started Concussions feeling stuff. Concussions are so, fickle things. Especially, and you talk about the one where he missed six weeks. That's a major concussion, and those are Six are weeks on a really kind. good football team, too, and that's not to say that, you know, you'd like to think the Chiefs were go- with the, as hot as they were last year, that they would love to have gotten Mitch Boris back sooner. I'm guessing he would have wanted, wanted to come back sooner because that's got to be a fun team to play on. So to be held out six weeks means that that's exactly what the symptoms were saying. He had to be held out. And that, he was talking about going over to KU Medical and, you know, some pretty intensive, uh, you know, work he had to do to get back on the field. And, you know, I, I think back to guys like Carlos Williams or Derek Anderson last year, you know, guys that have those long concussions, those are the ones that, you know, are a little bit scarier because, you know, that's where you know it's it's major, and I think you're more likely to have repeated troubles when you've had one of those. One other bit of information we don't have that I think is significant. When would Mitch Morse have been cleared to play had the Chiefs continued in their his rookie season and into the playoffs? That could have been a he major played, one as well. He played he missed the last he missed two playoff games. They only played two playoff games. So at what point in that offseason did he come around to where he would have been healthy enough to play? That's a great question because that that's even two weeks, I think, is a fairly significant. If you, you miss the final week of the regular season. And they're playoff or, games. And they're playoff games. And so now, they're not that's a that type of stuff is supposed to be withdrawn from the conversation. It's supposed to be black and white, right? It's not supposed to be uh, you're suppo- there are these new steps in place, the protocol, to keep the player from trying to force his way back or to keep the team from forcing the guy back before he's ready, uh, regardless of the situation, whether it's the playoffs, whether he's a starter. But we both know that guys will lie. Yeah, I remember ta- uh, when Maxim Afenogenov uh, had just signed his uh, an extension, and Chris, you may remember the year on this, but he came back from Russia with a concussion, and it was a mysterious concussion. I want to say this was the 05. It's after that lockout. It, yeah, so <clears throat> 05, 05. Yeah, going into the 05, 06 season. And Maxim Finneganov was unavailable to them for months mm-hmm. into the season. He came, he came to the Sabres with a concussion. And nobody could really get a straight answer as to what the reason was. And I remember having a discussion with Lindy Ruff about it. Now, this isn't different. I mean, this is back when the NHL had a protocol, by the way. They they were the forerunner in this. You want to talk about the NHL being a garage league, but the NHL actually had concussion protocols long before any other uh, sport did. And Maxima Finnegan, again, shows up. And I remember talking to Lindy Ruff about it, and I said, Lindy, at some point, 
what would you would you just lie and say you're and he's like yeah he's like there at some point i would just say i want to play i feel fine and so it was kind of lindy ruff's way of saying that he thought maybe maxim finneganov was soft like uh like i i lindy ruff the man's man would be out there by now even if i was dealing with the concussion i'd find a way to play through it again that's not any that's not any kind of forecast or reflection on anybody. I'm just saying this is the way some people think, whether it's the coach, whether it's the player, there's all kinds of different um, personalities at play of what I'm willing to play through. I'm willing to lie. Now, sometimes you can't lie. Maybe it's a look at your irises. Maybe they do a, a, an actual EKG or uh, whatever you yeah, call it for the, for the brain test, EEG, I should say. There's all kinds of things you can do, I guess, to find out. But who's – I don't – when you're talking about missing playoff games, that's a serious concussion, and the and the timeline you're talking about the weeks that are involved. Now I know that's supposed to be a knuckle draggers way of looking at it. That's not supposed to matter. That playoff everybody's being as safe as you can be, regardless of whether it's week two or week nineteen. Super Bowl is week nineteen, right? Week twenty. I think so. Week twenty. Maybe. Week twenty. Because there's, there's a buy. There's a buy. There you can get a buy, and yeah. So. uh yeah, there's week, Super Bowl's week 20, I think. Well, there's yeah, but anyway, 18, 19. Whether it's 2 or 20, whether it's 2 or 18 or 9, whatever. I think it's neither of the ones you mentioned. I think it's like 21 or 20. Is it? Because there's a break between. would be the, wild card, 19 yeah. would be division, conference would be 20, bye week would be 21, well, still, 22. The, the point still remains. A very important game. Not in a leap year. In a leap year <laughs> would be different, too. <laughs> so it's supposed to mitigate those circumstances, those factors, but it doesn't. It doesn't. There are players, I'm sure, every Sunday afternoon who are playing with concussions because they haven't informed the medical staff that they're having symptoms. And who knows what, like you said, at what point in the offseason was he okay? Would he have missed all that time? Would he have, you know, was that another one of those major concussions? And if it was, then, you know, now we're talking about, you know, a pretty serious situation where, you would think he has to to sit down and figure out what he wants to do, which, I, again, people might say, you know, it's early to be talking like that, but it's really not because four concussions is a pretty high number for a guy that hits his head against other humans as often as Mitch Morse is planning to do, uh, you know, for the next four years uh, of this Bills contract. So it's something he should be thinking about and something that, you know, it has to be frustrating and alarming if you're you're the Bills and you just handed him all this money. And if you're a fan that's just waiting for this guy to turn, you know, to turn things around, and just uh, you got to tap the brakes. They might have to have some patience. As somebody who just, uh, I I am more concerned with the brain aspect of it for Mitch Morse than I am the the football side of it. I hope that the Bills and that he takes his time and everybody's sure uh, that he's going to be fine before he's put back out there, regardless of how much time is being missed or chemistry or this or that. Yeah, it's, I'm sorry, sports fans, it sucks, but this guy's got to stay out for as long as possible for his own health. Uh, and so what if he's on uh, the pup list or he's unable to uh, unable to go week by week three if he's still – earning a nice paycheck on the sidelines that, you know, that's all right. The brain is the most important thing here. Um, all right. Um, yeah, well ask, I'm gonna, you know what? 
This would be, you know, we're talking about the throwback and the way it used to be. When we come back, we're going to have Daryl Talley on the line. We're going to see what his thought is on playing with concussions. Those guys talk about it all the time. Jim Kelly talks about how he recalls one game in the Superdome in which he was on flat on his back and the roof was spinning. And he stayed in the game and probably threw a touchdown or two. I went and looked, actually. He told me the story. I don't think it went well. No. No, no. I don't think it was. Because he did the same thing <laughs> no, in no. the USFL, I think. Yeah, like these these guys played like this. And we'll talk about Daryl Talley, see if he regrets it. We talked, well, hell, I wrote a story about it. When we come back, we'll have Daryl Talley and more on the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. This is the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270. My senior year in high school, I'm five foot six. I break my ankle. I don't play at all. I play three games. Gets number three, two, and 15 in the state of Ohio. Two games to make every tackle but two. The other one, I made 16. I get recruited to go to West Virginia. I'm five foot six, 146 pounds. Five foot six. I grew to six one. I was a, a bean pole. And the guy looked at me. What were you going to play? Steep. What were you going to play at West Virginia at five six hundred? Linebacker. They recruited me as a linebacker. Gary, <laughs> the guy that recruited me, looked at me. He says, "Son, he said, you you have what?" I said, "I broke my ankle, and I only got to play the last two games of the season." He goes, "You run like that, and you you just now got off a broke ankle. Yes, a week ago." He says, "Okay." Next thing I know, I had scholarship offers from. Syracuse, West Virginia, Iowa, and Iowa State, and a bunch of mid-American schools. And I, like I said, I told people I was five foot six. I grew to six one. I weighed one hundred forty-six pounds. I got to West Virginia University. I may have weighed one hundred fifty-five. Nineteen seventy-eight was the first year you could register freshman. So my coach had between me, Calvin Turner, and a guy by the name of John Garcia. One of us had to be redshirted. And I didn't get redshirted until after we played the second game of the season out in Oklahoma, where we got trashed. And I was—I went to school at six one, one hundred forty-six pounds. I came out of college six four, two hundred twelve pounds was what I played at my senior year. By the time the draft came around, I got up to two hundred twenty-five, and Man. nobody believes that. Yeah, that uh, I, I do remember it being rather absurd. And uh, so, yeah, West Virginia took a chance on a, on a little kid. Yeah, and it worked but, out. So that song does bring back good memories. But is it real? Is it a good song or not? Is it is is Country Roads a good song? A great song. Or is it only be tolerated because people can sing along with it? Uh, I think it's a great song because it tells you a little bit about the people of West Virginia and how they are. And but let's be, it, let's be honest, Daryl. Morgantown's a little bit different than the rest of the state. Morgantown's a whole lot different than the rest of the state. <laughs> <laughs> but it is still different. Well, I mean, you take a kid from the city and put him into that environment. Think about that. You get guys coming from D.C., everywhere, all around the country. L.A., California going to West Virginia, and they're looking around, going, "Wait a minute, 
We're in Morgantown, West Virginia, where there's nothing. I mean, let's put it this way. We had one McDonald's across the street and a pizzeria when I was there. You had to go probably four miles to get to a Ponderosa. So if you didn't eat on campus, you were in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're in conversation with Daryl Talley, Wall of Famer at uh... – He's out there. Uh, his name will forever be on the New Era Field wall. Well, I guess I should take that back. It might not be forever because if they build a new stadium, they're going to have to move it. But for now, well, it, you're you're going to be on the I, Wall of Fame. Wherever the Wall of Fame is, you're going to be on it. Thank God. And thank Western New York for it. So, Daryl, we were talking uh, earlier. Uh, Mitch Morse the Bills center, who's uh, the highest-paid center in the NFL now, he's in a concussion protocol with his fourth concussion in 44 months. And we were – what are the – can you explain the differences? Or do you think – how much do you think things have changed in the way players approach recovering from a concussion compared to your days. And I know that you talk to a lot of guys, and I know that you're dealing with the NFL Legends program now where uh, you know CTE is a big concern and, and you're trying to help a lot of the guys come through it. Um, and with the protocols and the, thing, the, the things that are in place now, the rules that the NFL has, do you think – how much do you think players treat concussions compared to 25 years ago? Completely different. Completely different. The guys today are, are taking their time with it. Ours was like, can you count to three? Count the fingers I got up? If you were lucid when they got to you and you could talk and react and answer questions, then you were fine. Well, today, guys, are there are different protocols that they're using because they've got baselines on guys now, so they know where they were at prior to a concussion. So... It's a little bit different because they have more data to use. So they have a way to, to judge how far you've gone or how far you've been injured based upon the way the, the scales are for you. Because everybody's done that now. Back then, we didn't have that. How much, though, do you think, Daryl, how much, though, do you think there are still guys who will fib, who will say, I'm, I'm fine, or they will... Uh, not report all their symptoms because they feel they need to stay on the field or they don't want to lose their job or just the old that's, you know, rugged. That's going to happen because you have guys that are very competitive. If the guy wasn't competitive, he wouldn't be, in this, he wouldn't be at this level. And being at this level, he's going to be the ultimate competitor. He's going to want to compete all the time. And if he's worth any salt, he's going to – but guys are, are getting into the thing where they're getting over their head and they don't know. Well, back in the day, people it would get over their head and they wouldn't know what the heck was going on. They'd be hurt and not know it. And they'd do, go nothing, do nothing but go back out and re-injure themselves. So we weren't smart. Let's put it that way. We weren't the smartest people in the world when it came to that. How we much- just knew that we wanted to play the game. How much do you think the perception has changed from people around the um, well, the around the guy who has the concussion, meaning the coach who wants him back faster, who's urging the team doctor to clear him, who you know the teammates who say, you know whatever vulgarity you want to throw out there, man, what's wrong with you? Get back out there. 
you know, there. How much has that changed in terms of the the well, culture that, of concussions? That, well, that's changed because the the guys have seen direct results of what's happened to older guys that have gone through this. So that has changed some. Guys have gotten smarter. It's just like anything else. We evolved just like football has evolved and everything else. The players evolve about way, the way they think about it and the way they play it. So, yes, that has evolved. So they start looking at that. And, okay, if I've been concussed here, then how am I? I want to play this week. I got to play. I want to play. I want to be in this game. Well, if the numbers and everything don't dictate you being in that game, you can't play. We're in conversation with Bill's legend, uh, Daryl Talley. uh, That makes sense to me. Yeah. Well, but back then, in our day, we didn't have the sophisticated tools that they have now. They have some tools that are able to help you to distinguish whether a guy can do this or not. You used to can look at a guy and say, well, he doesn't look like he's all there. And the guy could be perfectly fine, be perfectly lucid, know everything. But just looking at him, you may think he's crazy looking. Well, there are a lot of those guys that play the game. So, you know. Including you. Yeah. Because I am one of those guys that look at you like you're crazy when you tell me I'm going to... I'm not going to go play. I've got to stop. I'm like, uh, no. You had to be scraped off the field. You you weren't coming off the field with any. No. If, if there was concussion protocol, uh, if you were playing in today's game, how much would you, even with everything that you've been through, how how much would Every, you be able to come to grips I've with coming, bringing or taking yourself off the field? That would be very hard for me. That's that would be very very hard because when you're when you're a competitor like I am, you want to compete at everything and you want to compete at the highest level and you want to win. And you want to win. That's the whole thing is about winning and being the best you can be. Uh, I understand that medicine has come a long ways and they can tell you now those things. So, yeah, I may have been stupid and not have understood what I put myself into because it was never explained. And, you know, at that point, I just have to put my hands up. But, yeah, I had had problems with it, I think. All right, Daryl, let's talk about football. I know that you've been out at uh, training camp for the last couple of days. You've had a chance to look at a lot of players up close to see maybe how much uh, Tremaine Edmonds has evolved since he had his first training camp. I mean, the guy's still only 21, right? I mean, he doesn't yeah. turn 22 for a little while yet. Uh, Ed Oliver, what, all these young parts that's of the defense. so unbelievable. That's why I say they, they have a good nuclear started. And I think that right now they're, they're on the right track to doing everything in the right way. It's just, it's just going to take time for them to gel. It took us time to gel. We had to figure out who we were when we were arguing. If you go back to us looking at us in 86, 87, we were the bickering bills. That was because we had a higher expectation of ourselves and each other than anybody else had for us. So we fought and argued with each other. Everybody thought we were just crazy and wanted to fight with each other. But no, we wanted the best for each other. And the rest of it's the proof in the pudding. The proof was in the pudding, I should say, because of what we did. We held each other to a higher standard. And I guess that's what I think this team is in the midst of doing. 
They're they've got a lot of young pieces, a lot of good pieces. Now they're trying to mold it actually into a team. Now, things have changed an awful lot in the NFL since you were playing, and you know what it was like to come together as a team, but that was before free agency. Uh, it, all Too many different things. Everything from the equipment to the technology, all, what we were just talking about regarding the medical aspect of it, um, the way coaches think, uh, the way different schemes. You know, the game has has evolved uh, over the last uh, couple of the game decades. Has evolved, but it's still about two things. It's about blocking and tackling and execution. Those three things will never go away. Blocking, tackling, and execution. They will never go away. My question was going to be, and I guess maybe that's partially your answer, is what, what advice can you impart to these guys when you see them out at training camp that you know is going to translate from when you played to today's game and or today's player? You always hear that the players have changed, too, with the way they think, the distractions that they have in their life, maybe the money aspect of it. But how do you communicate with these guys today to get your point across? Um, basically, what I do is I just walk up to them and I, I tell them. Tell them man-to-man, one-on-one. And, you know, most guys are receptive to it. And if you do it in a nice and, and a general way coming from your heart, they understand that. But... People just going out yelling and saying things, well, no, that ain't going to work. You just got to explain to them what you see and what you don't and what you would like to know if they were able to do or how they can do that. How can, how can you help best help them? And that's basically what it is. It's, it's about older guys that are in the league, that have gotten out of the league, talking to the younger guys and explaining to them what they're going to be facing in the National Football League and what are some of the do's and don'ts. What are some of the pitfalls that you went through? Well, you tell them those things so that they don't repeat the same thing. It's part of the reason why I wanted to work with the NFL legislators because that's what we're doing. We're trying to express that to people. We're trying to express that to the guys. That's why we're trying to get all of them back, everybody back hooked up with their teams. We want them to understand that. What is it that you want these young guys to know? And I know you just mentioned some things there, but what, if in terms of, I don't know, whether it be technique or what's an example of maybe something that you and Tremaine Edmonds discussed yesterday or today? Uh, just the idea that right now he's the, he's the focal point of that defense right now. He's, one, he's the leader of that defense. And guess what? He's got to be the guy that's got to pick up the horn. Pick up the bull, grab the bull, by the horns, however you want to put it, and run him down the road because I think he's the guy. He's got the mental acumen to do it, the physical ability to do it. Now it's just getting on the field and doing it. And I think the guy's got all the tools. I mean, I think you guys got you've got two good inside linebackers with him and Milano. You get two guys that can play, that can run, play in space and still run and hit you. And that's what you got to have for linebackers. And somebody that knows what they're doing or knows where everybody's at. What were your thoughts of Ed Oliver, or did you maybe not spend enough time to come up oh, with an opinion? I met him when he first got drafted. I had a conversation with him when he first came in. I love the pick. I love the motor behind him from talking to him. He reminds me of myself because he wants to win. 
at all costs. He wants to win. And I can do nothing but admire him for that. And that's like when I seen him today. I told him, I said, okay, let's see you, big boy. I like it. He's playing. I mean, he's doing the things that he's got to do to get better. And he, I mean, here's the best part. He's even working with, from what I've seen. He works with Kyle Williams a little bit on it. So he's going to get a little bit of a jump on a lot of guys playing the game. Because some guys come in and they have their own techniques and they don't want to listen to older guys. But it seems like he's willing to listen to what Kyle's got to tell him. And Kyle's a pretty, he's a pretty damn good inside player, if you ask me. So, I mean, this kid's got a ton of speed. I think nothing but the best for them. I mean, it can really be something interesting trying to handle him as a three technique and deal with Edmonds and Milano inside. And he got lost an outside rush of the passer. So, and don't forget, still got Jerry Hughes who can rush the passer. Alexander who can rush him. So, you've got some guys up front that can rush the passer now. Now it's going to be the idea of just getting to the passer, just getting to him. Well, that was uh, going to be my next question, actually, Gerald, uh, so we can hold it right there if you can. Jerry Hughes entering his 10th season, Lorenzo Alexander entering his 13th season. What can be, what, what's, what's realistic for these guys? Well, here's the thing. 13 years, I, I played 14, so I still know that they can still run. If they can still run and do the things that they do to help the team, I think that both of the guys are good pass rushers. So right now, they're in the ideal situation. Now they know, just pin your ears back and go. Yes, you have to play the run. But yeah, we, we, we need sacks from the outside now, but I think that all of the stuff inside will start to actually materialize. Well, Daryl, let me ask you this. This isn't your realm of expertise, but... I guess you knew you had to figure out ways to beat offensive lines and 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 do a little pass coverage. Well, what do you think about the Bills' offense with the changes that have been made? And I know that Mitch Morris, at least, is a little bit of a question mark because when you're talking about concussions, that's uh, well, as we were talking about in our first segment, yeah, it 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 really plants a seed of concern there. But let's just say Mitch Morris is healthy and uh, uh, compared to last mm-hmm. year, what do you think the big difference will be on the offense? The big difference, I think, I think is the guy, the, the guy that you said, right? The guy putting the ball between his legs, giving it to the quarterback. He's going he's gonna to be the key to that offensive line, I think. Because if the quarterback can't get the ball, he can't throw it. He can't hand it off. He can't do anything with it. So that's where it's going to have to start. This is going to start in the trenches before it starts anywhere else. And that's where I think that We've got a chance. We're bringing him in. We're bringing Morris, and I think we've got a chance. Now, we've got, we've got a, a center that can hold down the middle of the field, and you've got a young quarterback that's agile, that can run, and he's a good athlete. He can jump. So you, you've got room to play with now. So I think that'll help them. And then just them being together for a year will help those guys, you know, sort of, how would you say mesh together as a unit? But that's gonna that's gonna come. It's gonna boil down to them wanting to do it, which I have no doubt that that's what they're gonna want to do. 
before we wrap up our conversation here with Daryl Talley, I, I need to ask you, Daryl, you, you touched on it earlier, but uh, it's important work that you're doing. Can you give us the the synopsis of the Legends program, your role in it, and uh, what the objective is? Well, the Legends community is a community of guys. It's like, I think it's 20, 22 of us that have played in the game, and what we're trying to do is corral everybody that's played in the game and bring them back and get them acquainted with their teams, get them reinformed with their teams, let them know what the benefits are that they've earned, where to find them, how to access them. Those are the things we're trying to do. We're trying to help guys that have fallen on hard times. I know that. I've seen it. I've been through it. I'm trying to keep myself above it and moving down the road. And what we're trying to do is find guys that have problems. And here's the thing. you got to think about it. There's 20,000 guys that have played this game for two or more years. When you really boil it down to everything, you can go to school, become a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, whatever, but not everybody can play professional football. And the place that we felt the most at home was in the locker room. So what we want to do is corral all 20,000 of those guys and get them reacquainted with their teams and get them back involved with the team because as we all get older, we have problems mentally, physically, and everything. So by us getting together, talking to each other, we can start to self-diagnose what's going on with us and start to see things that are happening to us and learn to prepare for what's coming. Because if you don't know, you don't know what's coming, you're going to get blindsided. And by us talking to younger guys and informing them, of what comes after, what, how it is, and everything else. And we want everybody to be involved in our brotherhood because guess what? 20,000 guys. Think about that. We can all go to school, become a doctor, a lawyer, a judge, police officer, fireman, anything. But we all can't play professional football on Sundays. So it's a very unique group. And... Everybody talks about the one percenters or whatever, but when you really boil it down to it, we are the one percenters that do that. So best us talking to each other, we we feel a little more at ease talking to each other than talking to perfect strangers. We're talking to somebody who's been through the wars, who's had those fights, who knows what you're talking about. Whereas you can talk to somebody else who's never done it and doesn't understand it, but has a medical degree and is telling you this is wrong and that's wrong. So I don't know. I'm not a doctor. So, but I just think we do better talking to each other because we make more sense. We get each other to come around, to come back, to talk to each other. So, and that's basically what we want. We want all, we want a brotherhood, which is what we have. Bill's wall of famer, Daryl Talley, one of the all time greats. And it uh, means a lot that you'd come on the show and, and give us your thoughts no, on what you've you. seen the last couple of days with the Bills and uh, and also what's uh, what's going on in your life. And I uh, hope you keep making a difference there. And I have a feeling that I'll be seeing you trying. before you head back to Orlando. Yes, you will. All right, Daryl. Thanks again for doing All this. Right. No problem, Tim. Daryl Talley, 56. One of the legends in the Bills uh, community. When we come back, we're going to have more Bills talk, UB football talk, get into what the Bulls are going to do at quarterback, 
after they move on from Tyree Jackson. Mm. Camp started for the Bulls today. Could, Sabres talk. Couldn't he go back and take a couple snaps? He's right in Buffalo. It's easy. I don't think he's allowed. I think he's already eaten from the NFL pie, so oh, to right, speak. Right. <laughs> All that nice. and much, much more when we come back on the Tim Graham Show. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I'm Tim Graham from The Athletic here in studio today with Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Amalgamated for all your corrugated metal needs. Check out Bronstein Amalgamated located in North Buffalo. Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, he covers the Bills. When he's not in studio with the Tim Graham show, that is. Chris Baker at Sabres Prospects. He's here, but he doesn't seem to think there's any Sabres news to discuss. Well, I, you know, hey, we can talk Sabres year round. Right. But is it more important than the Bills right now? Buffalo Bills. Because I can talk, we can talk about Ristolainen. Is there anything to say about Ristolainen other than He's still just, here. Yeah. Damn it. He's still here. I think they're looking for a suitor, and they're not going to move him until they get a really good return, despite the amount of fans that want to just give him away for not a lot. Yeah, everybody just wants to move on. Case. After what happened with Ryan O'Reilly, I think Sabres fans would have learned their lesson about Well, you know, Matthew, Ryan O'Reilly wasn't minus 33 last year. Right, okay? but, you know, they were ready to get rid of him for anything. <laughs> They were. Now they're ready yeah. to get rid of Risto for anything, but you know, I have unpopular opinions though about the Sabers. That you know, I think the fans are just, um, you know, it's going to be pretty crazy. There's a, you know, they they did this thing called tanking a couple years ago, and I think that there is a little bit of a, a tank derangement syndrome in Buffalo with the Sabers fans right now. Everything's uh, everything. The world's going to end until they win a Stanley Cup. And it's a pretty pretty wild time to be watching Sabres fans interact on social media the past couple of years. So there you go. We're going to drop that one right here in uh, the end of July. I think that's a good time to drop TDS. TDS? Tank derangement syndrome. Tank derangement syndrome. syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) Is there a cure? Yeah, Stanley Cup. (laughs) Stanley Cup. Cowbell. That's not going to happen. So I think it's an epidemic. It's kind of where we're at right now. And I'm not trying to start trouble, by the way. What but, would cleanse? You know. Because there, there's something that could... It's not going to be a Stanley Cup because something's going to have to happen where we look back on a time of like, you remember that tank era when everybody was at each other's throats? Yeah. Uh, there will be a time. What's going to... Is it just t- it, the passage of time? Is it going to be once Jack... How about this? Once Jack Eichel is no longer on the team, is that when it we hit the reset button? He's the poster child for that whole movement. Sure. So you have to win with him, or the the whole era ends when he's no longer here. But I don't think the argument ends. I'm I'm not sure the argument will ever end. And the it, argument it, won't ever end. No, it won't. If Jack Eichel leaves and they win a cup, then it'll be C. It's because Jack Eichel left. Or if Jack Eichel goes his whole career and doesn't win a cup, or if they find a different way to build a team, this issue will always be there because mm. it's not going away really in the NHL either. I mean, you know, teams still do it and it's still a way that teams, you know, try to build a winner. It's 
It's never going to end. We're going to be stuck in this hell forever. <laughs> but there's nothing to talk about in with the Sabres in July, though. I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> well, we just, <laughs> we just did it for five minutes. <laughs> no, I mean, no, honestly, though, to answer your question, there's plenty to talk about going into the season, but it's not... I don't think there's really hot button. It's it's kind of like where where we're at right now with the Sabers is where we were at. I think five weeks ago, honestly, when this show went on a little hiatus. You know, nothing's really happened. You know, we're in junior camp mode right now. You know what I mean? So like Team USA and like World Junior stuff is going on, but that's that's like All right, minor. Let's talk about that, the that's bills. what I'm saying. That's a minor thing. Mitch yeah. Morse <clears throat> suffers his fourth concussion in three years and eight months, a span of 44 months. Uh, Mitch Morse, the highest paid center in the NFL, which by definition makes him the highest paid center in NFL history because the people who make the most today made more than they did in the past, you know? Not the highest paid center in the city, though, right? Is Jack Eichel paid more? Oh, that's He's a good one. He's got a bigger one. contract, right? Well, uh, that's right. Yeah, more, more Maybe money. Maybe not APY. Per year, no, right. But that's a good one. That is a good one. Like and Matt, Matt's right. Jack Eichel is the highest paid. Set. They better win. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> See, I'm bringing it back. It'll never go All away. right. No. I so, like this Tim Graham. I don't know about you guys. So we have Mitch Morris with a concussion. Yes. Um, we talked about that extensively through the first hour of the show, but in case you're just tuning in, uh, Mitch Morris did report to the Bills uh, yesterday that he was having concussion symptoms. That puts him in the protocol. This is his fourth concussion uh, since he joined the NFL, uh, late in his rookie season, he had his first concussion. In fact, it happened against the Bills, and he missed a game towards the end of 2015. He missed Week 13. He played the last four regular season games but got hurt again in the regular season finale, causing him to miss both of Kansas City's playoff games. So he has a clean 2016 and a clean 2017, at least as far as concussions are concerned. And then in 2018... He suffers another concussion that causes him to miss six weeks of the season. So we spent a lot of time talking about, you know, I guess this is the uh, uh, here we go again, the Bills fans, uh, we can never have nice things. Uh, should we be concerned about Mitch Morse? Um, but we have Matthew Fairburn for uh, another segment here. Uh, what are some other things happening in training camp, Matt, uh, that have you either excited or concerned? I don't excite easily, as you know. <laughs> That's true. So there, I think Josh Allen has, I mean, he's obviously going to be the focus throughout the preseason and into the regular season. People will be, you know, arguing about him and whether he's the guy, but you don't really learn that during practice, but he has looked good. I, I think the offense as a whole looks more competent than – it did this time a year ago, which is good considering everything they invested in it. It wasn't a given considering all the new pieces, how they would come together. But I think because of Josh Allen, it's looked better. And I think probably the main thing that I feel comfortable saying in terms of, you know, people make a lot of predictions or, or bold statements based on a few practices, and it always seems premature. But one thing I feel pretty comfortable with is that John Brown is the best receiver on the team. That's all I was going to ask about. And I'm not sure it's close. Uh, I, I think Cole Beasley brings his own element to the offense, but I think John Brown is going to be the most productive receiver on this team, provided he stays healthy. I still have some you know, concern over whether 
Josh Allen has the skill set to take advantage of a guy like Cole Beasley, but his skill set matches up so perfectly with John Brown, and that's shown up quickly. And Brown is just, he's just really good. He's not just a vertical guy. He's, you know, carving up the intermediate area of the field. He's doing work in the red zone. There were some uh, off-season, or I should say free agency previews, that would list John Brown among the best slot receivers available in the NFL. And, of course, we see him stretching the field. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll look it up here. But, yeah, he was, he was listed among the slots Yeah, because he, he can do that he can kind of move all over the field. They have him on the boundary. And, and I think there's this idea of, oh, the Bills, they signed all these guys, but they didn't get a number one wide receiver. Well, go ahead and count John Brown as that guy because whether he's, you know, he's certainly not Julio Jones or in that ilk, but I think he's going to be treated as a number one receiver. The target distribution between, you know, it's John Brown, Cole Beasley, and everybody else. Zay Jones is not getting looked at often at all by Josh Allen. And part of it is because he's not getting open. Uh, you know, Tredavious White is covering him pretty well. Today they matched up Tredavious White on John Brown a few times, which was fun to watch. But I think in terms of distribution of targets, John Brown and Cole Beasley are going to lead the pack significantly unless, you know, the only guy I see closing that gap at all would be Dawson Knox if he gets healthy and – you know, can pick up this offense quickly, but, you know, he's um, injured right now with a hamstring injury, and, you know, the tight end position is a is a major question mark just given all the injuries they have with Tyler Croft. It was um, the thinnest pa- It was the thinnest position, prob- well, in my opinion, on the team before the injuries. Yeah, and it was still fairly thin even when Croft was healthy. You know, even before the, the Knox and Kroom injuries, you know, them going out and signing Lee Smith, uh, who's he looked like he was sort of past his prime a, a few years ago when I when he was here, um, and he's never been much of a receiver. He's still one of the best run blocking tight ends in football, but as a receiver, he's not bringing much to the table. So that's a, a position of of concern. But I think you know it's safe to say this offense is going to be better provided they don't get hurt and provided Josh Allen doesn't you know, wet the bed. Regarding receivers, let's not uh, move on too far uh, until we give our thoughts on Zay Jones. Uh, one thing that uh, Matt and I were actually a little too far on the field today, and we had to uh, back up a little bit because they were running a special teams drill right in front of us, like maybe two yards in front of us. And it was gunners going up against, you know, two blockers trying to get these guys from going downfield. And so it's mostly – receivers and defensive backs in this role. You know, Sonoris uh, Perry's out there, so that's a running back. But, you know, it's those smaller guys. But who was there working out with the Gunners? Zay Jones. Now, Zay Jones, throughout the offseason, uh, there have been stories written about what great shape he's in and this is ready for a breakout year and et cetera. But if you're a high draft pick like Zay Jones entering your fourth season, is it? Third, third season. Third, yeah. Still third. Uh, you shouldn't be working out with the Gunners, I don't believe. No, he's, you know, not only that on, I'm getting my days mixed up, but I think it was Sunday, he barely got any work during team drills. And it may have been an injury, but they never really, you know, labeled it as such. And so, I don't know, I, th- he's shown really 
next to nothing in training camp so far. Now there's a pretty big sample size. It's not even so much that, oh, he hasn't made splashy plays. He hasn't caught touchdowns. He hasn't done this. It's it's just very obvious that Josh Allen is throwing to John Brown and Cole Beasley way more often. He's even throwing to Robert Foster more often. He's spreading the ball around a decent amount. Zay Jones just isn't getting it very often. And, you know, when you're talking about, like you said, everybody, you know, thinking this is the breakout year, the third season, you know, Zay Jones has worked with Josh Allen for a year now. John Brown and Cole Beasley just got here, and he already seems to trust them more. So it's just, uh, you know, does he bring something to the table as a blocker? Can he play special teams? Sure. Like, all that's great, but he's a second-round pick, and, you know, there's not really any injury to speak of at the moment that should be holding him back. They could use him, you know, being – a guy that they can count on as, you know, one of those top three receivers. And if they can't, that's going to be a disappointment, especially if, if either Brown or Beasley get hurt, because, you know, then you're talking about looking a lot like you did last year, which clearly wasn't good enough. Well, there was two names that I was thinking about too, before Matthew goes. So we talked a little bit about Robert Foster last year. And it doesn't seem like it seems like there was heightened expectations for this kid coming into what his second camp. And it sounds like is he hitting the mark or what is he looking like? And I also wanted to ask you about getting back to Mitch Morse and the the line that he's anchoring Cody Ford, because I've heard some different things about Cody Ford this camp. And it seems like they need him to be successful on what the right side of the line. But what are your thoughts on those two players? Yeah, Cody Ford, they've had at first team right tackle most of the time. They sprinkled him in at left tackle today. They've flirted with the idea of him being a guard. I, you know, a week in to his first camp, I think he's he looks the part of a guy that you can count on as a starter. He's, you know, got some work to do. He he was dealing with catching up to the speed of guys like Trent Murphy uh, on the edge, and and that's normal for a a rookie, especially one who, you know, that's not necessarily his calling card. Is his his quickness? He's more of a mauler. Uh, so far, so good with him. As far as Robert Foster, he's interesting because he was really bad at camp last year. He was, you know, not good. And he was a kind of a trendy guy, undrafted, really fast, out of Alabama. A lot of people had high hopes. And he just wasn't very good until the very end of the preseason. He started making some plays, and the Bills felt like they couldn't cut him because somebody else would pick him up. So they... They kept him on the roster. They were forced to cut him, and then he has this great end of the season. Well, now I feel like his camp isn't going great, but I also feel like people are burying him too quickly. They're thinking, oh, Robert Foster's not working with the starters. He's cooked. You know, They've written him off. I don't think that's the case. And no, he's not performing well in practice, but he never did that last year either. So I think you know, as a number four receiver, which is what he is right now, that's an ideal spot for a guy who's undrafted, you know, still has a lot to work on. If you look at the way he got his yards last year, he's a guy who did it almost exclusively on deep passes. And you catch a handful of those a game, which it seemed like he was doing, you're going to have 100 yards before you know it. And so, you know, that's a guy who has a lot to work on if he wants to develop the rest of his game. And what better guy to learn from than John Brown, who at one point was just the speed guy. Now he's a little bit of everything. So I think Robert Foster is totally fine. I think his roster spot is safe. And I think 
it's best for him and the offense that he's the number four guy because he gets to sit back and learn and develop, and the Bills can sneak him onto the field for 25 to 50% of the snaps in any given week and maybe catch a team off guard with a second vertical threat like him. I mean, Josh Allen still loves to look for him on the deep balls. He's still spotty on, you know, whether he's going to get him, but even if he catches – you know, one out of every three you throw to him. Those are plays that, that change games. But on a semi-related yeah. note, real quick, I just want to mention, last year's training camp receiving favorite, fan favorite, Brandon Riley has been picked up today off waivers by the Pittsburgh Steelers after the Lions cut him. So I just want to make everybody feel warm and fuzzy about their favorite training camp receiving guys of the past. I don't know, maybe we can have – I'm. I'm trying to think who were some of the others uh yeah chad jackson des lewis was, des lewis was that's right while. uh henry bailey the prole kid so I don't know if you remember him oh the prole yeah austin prole austin, austin prole yeah david sills oh this Most year right? that's right Seen a pattern here everybody's in love with yeah. david sills <laughs> <laughs> but you know what's funny though so uh, that's what i was trying to get to though by asking about foster is that you mentioned john brown and he can take the top off but he can also get in the intermediate areas a more well-rounded receiver foster if I'm hearing you correctly, he's probably not that. He doesn't have those tools that Brown has. He's just not primarily yet. deep ball. Not yet. All he does is stretch the field vertically, and that's about all you get from him. Occasionally he can go over the middle, but he hasn't really developed that part of his game. And in contested situations, he's not great. For a small guy, John Brown is really good in those spots. And when there's a 50-50 ball, it's not always 50-50 with John Brown. He's got a good chance at it. And you just don't see that same thing from Robert Foster. I mean, the the plays that he was making were because he was beating guys, like mm. burning guys and getting open, and he had space around him. If you look at when he was in some contested spots, it didn't always go his way. So what better guy to learn from than John Brown, who's yeah. overcome some of that early in his career and, you know, become, uh, I think, uh, the most one of the most well-rounded receivers the Bills have had on their roster in what is now the the sixth season I'm I'm covering them. Outside of probably Sammy Watkins, uh, I'm not sure there's been a, a more well-rounded receiver, but I guess that's not saying a whole lot now that I think about it. <laughs> Robert Woods. Yeah, Robert Woods was good. How Rodak of you. Uh, <laughs> that was very <laughs> Rodak of you. The spirit of Rodak <laughs> endures. It's, it must be the chair. Uh, <laughs> he's been texting me nonstop during camp, by the way. Same. Random, Same. He random tweets he, he sees can't let us go. He misses comments it. on yeah. press conferences. I knew this would be the case. He's probably listening right now. He's probably going to text me again in 30 <laughs> seconds. Yeah, he's texting you right now. <laughs> he's just glued to Bill's training camp. He cannot get enough all mm. the way from Birmingham, Alabama. I love it. Matthew, thanks for coming in. means thanks a lot to me, me that you'd uh, loan us some of your time. And uh, Matt and I have been getting borderline sick of each other driving back and forth to uh, training camp. Joe Biscaglia, uh, not in, a, in the carpool today. We needed a break from Joe. Wolf. He went rogue. He did go rogue today. I'm not getting sick of Tim. I like this Tim Graham. I, <laughs> I try to keep it light. Try to keep things uh, happy. We have good times. We do. We do have Many more time. to come. Much, much more. Much, much more. Speaking of much, much more, when we come back from this break, we're going to talk to Jonah Bronstein about UB foosball and what's going on with the quarterback situation. Lance Leipold, uh, well, he had some uh, 
had some words about quarterbacks today. And if you want to know who the next one's going to be after Tyree Jackson, well, we'll talk to Jonah Bronstein. You know, and there are, just so when we people back. understand in the 5 o'clock hour that tune in, there are things to talk about with the Sabres that we can touch upon if Jonah runs light on his Bulls content. Okay, well, we'll see. We'll find out. Maybe it's, maybe the callers want to come in and drive some Sabres topics and here on July 31st. And it's not about everyone's uh, favorite defenseman that's from Finland that wears 55 either. There are other things to talk about on this team. Okay, well, we'll, we'll see if we You'd can... like that, wouldn't you, Chris? Mm-hmm. i got to validate my existence today being here, so... We can conjure up some things. You All that. Why you wearing sunglasses inside? For because I forgot to. Yeah, because of prescription. Yeah, because I'm. Yes, yes. Because they're prescription. And in my haste to get in here and see your Excite. smiling faces, I forgot to grab my non sunglasses. So I, I need to see you guys. Otherwise, I can't see. Okay? That's so, a yogiism. I need to see you guys. <laughs> otherwise, I can't see. And we've come this far. I'm not going out there in the break to get them. Either. I see. You look like a real shock jock. Yeah. <laughs> You're taking this a little too serious. That's my motif. Yeah. Yeah. Stern to a T. So much more on the Tim Graham Show after this. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. This is the Tim Graham Show. Now on. From the Salino and Barnes Studios, don't wait. Call 8-W-H-L-D, Niagara Falls, Buffalo. Your home for the CBS Sports Radio Network. Download the TuneIn app so you can take Sports Radio 1270 The Fan with you wherever you go. This is Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber. The Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah Here we go. On Twitter at 1270. A fan. Wet Taking your calls at 270-1270. Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament, huh? Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270. The fan, my thanks to Matthew Fairburn of the Athletic for coming in and gracing us uh, with some Bills knowledge. Always good, by the way. He's fantastic. He is. He's. Man. I love working with the guy, and uh, he really grinds it out on the beat. I'll tell you. Now I go out there and I'm, uh, you know, doing a little slap and tickle. He's out there doing the work. Joe Biscaglia has been a great addition, too. It's been amazing to have him. We're looking forward to doing some some good stuff, the three of us. Can't wait, man. On the Bills beat. Chris Baker is in studio also. He's of The Athletic. At Sabres Prospects is where you can find him on Twitter. Jonah Bronstein, you can find him on Twitter at LeBronstein. L-E-B-R-O-N-S-T-E-I-N. Jonah Bronstein, of course, of Bronstein and Bronstein, your sports writer, injury attorneys. <laughs> and Bobby Rosati, diddle in the knobs. 
Haven't seen Bobby in a few weeks. Yeah, missed been, you. Been too long. I know. I missed you guys. I, I should have just stopped in to say hello. Ah, that's all right. Running the show. Taking I kind of did off. during that break. I came in and did Sully's oh, show right. once. I was say. But that was that was a couple of weeks ago. And that's then still... you, you came in and did another interview a week after that. Oh right, yeah. So we did, we had I've to do a little you. side project. Uh, Jonah Bronstein was out at UB foosball practice, opening of training camp for the UB Bulls. I think quarterback is on everybody's mind because they don't know who it's going to be. And Lance Leipold addressed that today. What did he have to say, Jonah? Well, he came out right before the interview even started. The first thing he says, we don't have a starting quarterback yet. Anticipating that would be the big question, as it should be. Tyree Jackson, Mac player of the year, left early, and now he's on the Buffalo Bills to join the NFL. And they got, as Lance Leipold says, a three-person competition between Kyle Van Treese, who played a little bit when Tyree Jackson was hurt two years ago as a true freshman, redshirted last year. He's the most experienced quarterback they have back. But another sophomore, Dominic Johnson, who's played more with the basketball team over his first two years on campus than he did with the football team, but got a little bit of experience in backup roles last year. And then Matt Myers from West Seneca, who redshirted last season. They've changed the rules. He was able to get on the field a little bit as a redshirt. But he's basically coming in to his redshirt. Well, he is coming into his redshirt freshman season, his first season of really being in the mix to to play significant downs. And it seems like a tight race between those three. I would think Kyle Van Treese, to me, he looked maybe like the best quarterback out there today in the limited reps I, I was able to see. He's the more experienced one. I think he's the favorite. But it's clearly an open competition, or I think Lance Leipold would say, Kyle, our more experienced quarterback, has the job until, you know, he falters and, and another quarterback gets the opportunity. Who was getting the second team reps last year? Well, it was actually Dominic Johnson, and it didn't you didn't see a lot of really any of these quarterbacks on the field. And then practice Yeah, that's why I mean whatever it is, getting second team reps is that's the best you can do. And maybe that's a clue. I don't know. Well, it, it, I, but I don't think it is because, one, if you were to go to a practice in the middle of last year, they're going to be rotating all the quarterbacks in. Even Matt Myers, who was probably the fourth quarterback last year, would have been getting, I don't know about equal reps to the second quarterback, but enough reps where you wouldn't really be able to look and be like, that's the guy that's going to be their quarterback next year. And I also think while Dominic Johnson was on the depth chart as the second quarterback behind Tyree Jackson last season, if Tyree had a long-term injury, I do think Kyle Ventrese might have came in and played and not been redshirted last season like he was. But Tyree Jackson stayed healthy, and that was never really an issue as to you know who was the backup quarterback last year. It's a little bit uncertain who that really was. What do you think the strength of this team is, Jonah? Or running the football, absolutely. Jared Patterson was an all-MAC player as a freshman, MAC freshman of the year. And Kevin Marks, another running back as a redshirt freshman last year, who was all he's all Mac caliber. If Jared Patterson wasn't here, I think Kevin Marks would be on a lot of these preseason all Mac teams. So they have two of these running backs. Dylan McDuffie from Sweet Home being a third running back who could get some action. Lance Leipold went out of his way to kind of mention him today. And the offensive line bringing back four or five starters. They only lose center James O'Hagan, who's now in New York Giants training camp. And if Matt Myers is the quarterback, He's much more of a runner than Kyle Van Treese. So if he does win the job or if there's some sort of 
rotation where he's in there a lot. I think you could see more option football, more of the quarterback running than you've seen the last few years. Even though Tyree Jackson can run with the injuries he had the year before, they stopped running him a lot last year. Joan, are you in on the uh, MAC preseason poll? Do you get to vote on that? or I didn't vote this year. I have in the past. So UB, preseason poll third? In the division. In the division, without anyone knowing who their quarterback is. Isn't that kind of crazy or no? I don't know if it's crazy because they were I mean, it's the Kent. first or second best team in the league last year. They do bring back, depending on how you calculate certain guys, about half their starters on offense, half their starters on defense. It, the quarterback is a big question mark. And if the quarterback doesn't perform well, then they're probably not going to be middle of the league, third in the division. But I think the rest of the talent coming back, and I think that's a lot of respect for Lance Leipold, that even if they're not as good as they were last year, obviously I don't think anybody thinks they're going to win as many games as they did last year, but even if they're not that talented, I think they win games based on their coaching and their preparation and Lance Leipold's ability on the sidelines. If their ceiling's higher, I don't. If their ceiling's lowered, I don't think their floor is lowered. I guess is what I'm trying to say. I was trying, to, yeah. Five trying. returning starters on the offensive line. Now, I, of course, that well, I don't think, four, right? But that's not. All, but, but five guys that could slide into five guys that started right that have started. You know, because mm-hmm. that's just one game. That's not necessarily your regulars, but they are bringing back five guys who at least started a game. Or uh, I'd have to go back. I don't want to discount by leading anybody to think that all five of these guys just started a couple. Uh, but yeah, as Jonas says, four and then another guy. Um, but I think you'll see a new center. I don't think you'll see one of these five guys moved into center, the center. Position. And they're upperclassmen. So you're coming in of those five that have started, two are juniors, two are seniors. Yeah, and some guys, uh, Cody Asiqua, Evan, I picked all the hard names to pronounce, Evan Kacerizak from West Seneca. These are guys that are all Matt caliber linemen. So if they're, they're really going to be able to run the ball. Now, if you are a good running team that can't pass that well, uh, teams can load up defensively and, and negate that strength of yours running the football. and they, Not just a new quarterback and uncertainty of who that quarterback is, they've lost all of their top weapons at wide receiver, tight end. They have junior college guys that are just getting here now that could be in the mix to possibly start or be key receivers for them. So there's a lot of uncertainty as to really the entire passing game, the entire passing offense. I love this poll. Just looking at this poll, P O L L. Yes, the um, MAC championship game winner. So you said this poll. I thought you meant that poll. Yeah, that poll. Um, Central Michigan gets voted last in the West Division, but someone gave them a vote to win the MAC championship game. <laughs> yeah, they got kind of panned for that. It, I don't take these polls all that seriously. I'd like to. Did you say they got banned? Poll. Like somebody, whoever did that, got kicked off the poll? Is that what no, you're saying? No, no, but I, I saw some tweets about how could this happen. Yeah. And it was probably someone from the central Michigan area. I see. I see. But these preseason polls, they're, they're nice reference, especially when you're, you'll look at them a lot of times when you play like an out of conference game. You say, oh, they were, they were picked fourth in their league. But a lot of it's just kind of a, a look at how they did last year, counting up how many starters mm-hmm. are back, and really just. Picking usually the team that's favored probably is favored for a reason, and then it's slotted in a little bit haphazardly after that on a lot of ballots. Got it. Yeah, just double checking. You know, you mentioned the offensive line, or at least I brought it up. But uh, they're returning their both tackles and their left guard. And you mentioned they're going to have to find a new center, which 
course, is important. That's been kind of the theme of today's show, talking about Mitch Morris and his lack of availability. Um, not to uh, understate concern for his health, which is way more important than whether or not he can uh, be out there for practice uh, with the Buffalo Bills coming up. But anyways. With uh, UB at center, they probably will play a freshman, Mike Nowitzki, who impressed in practice last year and, and was a backup. He's probably the guy that's going to be the new center for them. At least he was through most of the spring. All right, we're going to get back into some Bills, talk some Sabres if uh, Chris Baker feels up to it. <laughs> and, uh, hey, how about some baseball trade deadline? I mean, there's some oh, yeah. big moves happening. Right at the last minute, too, this started coming out. Syndicate? I always like to hint that Jonah Bronstein's going to talk some NBA because he's so good at it. Is there anything going on in the NBA there's, to there's talk about? There's one NBA story to talk about. LeBron James celebrating Le- too much with his son? Yeah, that's pretty LeBron. much the only basketball thing I've heard mentioned, unless you're you know, getting back to free agency things that happened weeks ago. Yesterday was also LeBron's Taco Tuesday. Right, there's that too. There's that also. What's taco, that? I don't taco know about Tuesday. I can pull it up. We'll have it for the, when we come back. He's just into his Taco Tuesday. Yes, I do have mnemonic devices that the we will Tim have. Show. Prominent, prominent listener sent uh, this gift to me. I will have a big unveiling. Jim Brown's still a free agent. This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic here with Jonah Bronstein, Chris Baker, Bobby Rosati, giving you some sports takes. (laughs) Give me a sports take, Chris Baker. Just a a hot one. Yeah, come on, bring it in hot. Cold's good, too. People that want to make the nets bigger in hockey are idiots. Yeah. That's a sports take. That's a Lindy Ruff thing. Lindy Ruff was always making the nets bigger. Yeah, and he's, I don't have a problem with yeah. it. Why no. don't? What's your problem? Because you're a goal. You come from a goaltender. You don't, have a, you don't have a scoring problem in hockey. You don't. You don't have a scoring problem in hockey. Right. And uh, but it's never going to be good enough because there's a generation of fans that just want to change everything. It's not just sports. Everything has to change. But I am. It, when I look at hockey, when I look at just sports in general, I, I tend to be a traditionalist. I hate to say it, and, and maybe that makes me a curmudgeon, whatever, but it always bothered me that people wanted to make the nets in hockey bigger. And like I look at like like soccer, I don't I have a problem. I don't have a problem with soccer at all, but it's like, you know, don't they have a scoring problem in soccer? Make the nets right. even bigger in soccer. Like mm-hmm. stay away from hockey. Make the goalie. Maybe the second part of that take that. wasn't as strong as the first and part, so but you I think want that... the nets to be bigger in soccer. <laughs> No, I don't care. Oh. I don't. That's my point. I don't care. That's what I'm saying. Just I think the second part of my take was not as strong. But I. What about the goal, should the goalposts in football be wider? Is that what you're saying? Now that I'll talk about. <laughs> it should be. It should be like a building. Yeah. No. No. That just always bothered me. Like that's one thing. It just always because I saw something last week. It was like, oh, you know what it is? Like people are trying to change Halloween now to be on a what a Saturday or something. like I that. I don't have a problem with that. But why do you got to change it? It's like the same people that wanted the Nets to be bigger probably want Halloween to be not nah, on the 31st. you know what? Hall Hollow's Eve. First off, it's 
great for the kids so that way they can have all the candy they want and still not have to worry about getting up and going to school the next day. Yeah, that did suck. It's great for the adults because then you can have your Halloween parties on the weekend rather than people trying to get together on Tuesday nights for Halloween. You know? No, no, I don't because I don't have kids, okay? But if Halloween was on a Saturday, you have an obligation to be with your kids and not be partying. So you're gonna, it's gonna ruin your your party, right. isn't it? Not so really. I never had a problem you, having a Halloween party or going to a Halloween party when Halloween was on a Thursday, and suck like it a party up the party would be day. on like the preceding Saturday or something. But all the, yeah. but then you have to get up on Friday and go to work. Suck a lot up. of people do. You're not gonna party on the Thursday. You're gonna party on like a Saturday. You don't have to party on i don't have a problem with halloween falling on a wednesday a monday i don't care i don't, I don't have care. a problem with them moving it to saturday kids are all, kids are fat in this country as it is they need less candy <laughs> we're, we're gonna promote it on a saturday all right how about this no we'll put it on the weekends but uh only if the people hand out uh, raw vegetables now okay you know that's a compromise i like this compromise carrot sticks yeah celery stalks maybe the occasional radish you know, I'm, I'm that guy that's going to be handing out the apples, and my house is going to get egged, and it's going to be awesome. The and odd, the odd uh, artichoke, a pomegranate. But that's, that's my take. Fruit. You asked for a take. You got a couple there. All right, Jonah, give You're us a take. Overflowing in takes. I don't. I mean, Halloween, I think, is weird all around. If we're going to stay on that subject, <laughs> the adults that celebrate it into their 30s and 40s and 50s, and kids walking around the neighborhood begging for candy. I'm not a fan. I don't like dressing up. I've never liked the idea of dressing up. I've never been that guy. I think it also it's a part of it is I don't like things on my face, yeah. mm-hmm. like makeup or any of that I crap. That. I hate that. Stuff. And uh, I don't know. I've just never, I've never gotten into the whole costume aspect of things. All the women just dress up like sluts. Yeah, yeah. I'm a slutty. Insert the whatever. <laughs> You're like, in, hi, I'm insert Chester. In the blank. I'm just talking about the blank, not insert the... Yeah, 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 yeah. The, like, think the most innocuous thing, and somebody can come up with a slutty version of that. Slutty Andy Reid. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I think we found the uh, exception yeah. to the rule. Way to go, Jonah. Jonah really does not like Halloween. <laughs> like, nothing says it more than that. Oh, Golly. Slutty Billy Buffalo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Slutty Billy Fusillo. <laughs> <laughs> See, but hearing you talk about it more, it's almost like you like the costumes, but not when you have to wear one. Oh, yeah. But you have no problem with other people wearing them. No, I, I think no, I think it's ridiculous too. I'm even making fun of the women who dress. I mean, yeah, it's childish. Like the red-blooded American in me says, "Yeah, wow, fine, right? You know, wear those costumes." Yeah. But they're yeah. all so stupid. <laughs> what I don't understand, I don't remember. You see a oh, wait, just real quick. I just want to say, like, you see a group photo of girls. Uh, or young ladies yeah. uh, on Halloween. And it's all, like all of them is slutty something. Like nobody is wearing a... Nobody's a ghost anymore. Yeah, right. <laughs> nobody, <laughs> a slutty ghost. Right. There's that. There probably is. Or police. They're all slutty. Yeah. yeah, nobody's... Slutty Slimer from Ghostbusters. <laughs> I have I have no problem with any slutty of this. Chewba- <laughs> really slutty no. Chewbacca. Like, how do you hate that? But, Why do you hate that? And you guys are a little older than me. Maybe you can offer better perspective but i don't remember my parents and people of an older generation celebrating halloween when i was a kid but now that's true older people and adults seem to celebrate even, ha- halloween more hardcore me, than yeah. the kids 
But I think the argument that people have about wanting to move it to a Saturday is that they think it's going to be safer for children. How? There's more idiots on the road on Saturdays than there are on a Tuesday night, oh, yeah. I think. Oh, yeah. So how is it safer? Well, there's probably less neighborhood traffic. You don't have people coming to and from work. Mm. You know, that's something that in my neighborhood you have to be mindful of. But, yeah, you're right. It probably doesn't matter. I don't know. Much. I don't know. I just that While we're on me. dumb holidays, how about fireworks? Not a fan. Oh, it, they're so ridiculous. They're stupid. Or even worse yeah. yet, firecrackers. No. Yeah, I'd be like, hey, moron. That 43rd firecracker you just lit is going to do the same exact thing as those first 42. Yeah. And, uh, well, you probably hate it because of your dogs, of course. Mm-hmm. Pe- and people with dogs, and it's, it's an issue. And I remember getting into an argument with somebody about fireworks, and he talked about He said what a, how unpatriotic I was because what it does, it's, it's to represent the— uh, the ammo and and the the mortar the rocket and everything oh going up. And yeah. I'm saying, all right, no, no. ask a ask a soldier with PTSD if he enjoys yeah. fireworks in <laughs> he his likes neighborhood. Checking yeah. out the fireworks. Yeah, I have no problem going and you know getting a blanket, maybe having a like a, a concealed beer, watching it or whatever. What? I, but I don't Zero even do that. Interest. I don't do that. But it's like you know, I don't need to shoot them off myself. Or because you know what happens too is like somebody inevitably is going to take the bottle rocket and shoot it at his buddy. That Man. happens a lot. Jason Pierre Paul, oh, right? Uh, Every year, like that's the beauty about the Fourth of July and the fireworks is that July fifth, you get to read <laughs> that inevitable story about the idiot who lost a hand or whatever. And I don't feel worse. bad for him. I don't. I don't. My dad uh, was a police officer in Cleveland, and on Fourth of July, uh, one of the things that he had to do was uh, patrol um, uh, Euclid Beach. And uh, he came across some kids, he and his partner, because it's back when you used to walk a beat, like back in the 60s and 70s. And you always had a part. I probably, he probably did have the the, Billy Club that he's flipping, you know, (laughs) whistling and uh, helping out the top of the morning, Joe. (laughs) That's right. With his key for the call box. Uh, And uh, there was a kid who had uh, cherry bombs. And he was lit. And he was he, he had been throwing them, and they went to approach him. And the kid had, had a cup lit, and rather he didn't want to be caught, and so he put he put him in his pocket. Oh, and uh, what blew his bag off? Yeah, his bag. Yes. Oh, his. Oh, yeah. Jeez. Took it right off. Bobby's like, oh, hey, oh, oh my yeah. god, that's brutal. Shouldn't do that. No. Let's see, that's a good story. I like that. That's a good story. <laughs> that's a good lesson. You'll yeah. never do it again. He, he, my dad guessed that the kid was about. 13 or 14. Oh, Man. no. It's a life changer. Yeah. that's. I have no interest in like fire, being around fireworks. Gender changer. That <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. You know, what's weird, too, is 4th of July, there's so much patriotism and flag waving. But a few weeks earlier, there's Flag Day, and that comes and goes, and people have no idea that it's even a holiday. <laughs> that's true. That's a good point. Yeah, nobody ever... Yeah. We ever need hear? a day off in the second week of June. I, is, right? I think we should look at moving Flag Day yeah. to a Saturday, and then maybe we'd it would be safer. give people day, give people the day off, and they can go vote, or make it like July third. So it's probably like kind of a back to back. Why don't we put them all on the same day? I like it. Why don't they move yeah. July fourth to uh, as the weekend every year? Right. Let's just move everything to Saturday. <laughs> just one Saturday fun. per year. Yeah. All right, let's hit a break here. We'll come back <laughs> and, and talk about something serious. If you and if you believe that, you should uh, change the channel. More coming up on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan.
Sports Radio 1270. The Fan. These unintended indiscretions heard over the airwaves. I love this story because in this athletic piece, they called up OJ. It blew my mind that we can just call up OJ now. And you know who the big winner in this is? The Tim Graham Show. Pulled out. Gurgling. Such a vagabond he is, too. He's bounced up and down and gone all around. On Twitter. 1270 The Fan. Paid actors illustrating actual clients. Prior results do not guarantee similar outcome. Each case is unique. When a car something. Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Because what I'm looking for is something, I'm going to pop the old stuff out and put my stuff in it. (laughs) The Tim Graham Show. Anywho. Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. My favorite Fourth of July song. <laughs> this will forever remind me of John Warrow because we played this for John. Yep. The last time I was part of this show and we had John on, and I'm. Hi, John. If you're listening, you know he is. He can't. Help We're playing your song. Us. God bless you, Canada. So From sneeze. Detroit, I can yeah. see you is <laughs> <Yeah>. a lyric. <laughs> Like, wow, what an accomplishment, Canada. Way to go to be seen from Detroit. Be in Detroit in a couple of weeks. Isn't this it? I think it might be the next verse. Oh, yeah. Well, let's see. Let's see if he kicks in right here with it. Oh, we can see her. See her. There's... I'm watching the music video. Craig Reve was on it. Damn, that's weird. He's on the video for he's, this? He's in the video for this. Yeah, right at this point, he's in the video. On the Canadians. Neat. Uh, I thought it was like him in his boat in North Bay fishing or something like that. Yeah. Or him on the instigator. Yeah. Gee whiz. <laughs> Anyways, Tim, you're going to Detroit? Anything well, that we can discuss? The, oh, the, the preseason. The Bills play there oh, okay. this year. You can see Canada from there. I hope to. I, I plan to drive through Canada to get there. You're going to you drive through. That? You're going to drive through her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to Detroit, I'll drive through her. <laughs> People get all worked up about Lee Greenwood, though. Yeah. Think of the money he made off that song. Yeah, he's polarizing. I think. How's that? Worked up both. Well, because, again, there's just like this. But people don't know. People aren't aware that there's a Canada song out there. Yeah. That's, there that's my Mexico? mission. Is there a Mexico one? No, I think he may have stopped it, too. <laughs> Do any country. <laughs> Could you imagine that that type of song that <laughs> with a Mexico Proud. version? Yeah, I don't even want to go there. I don't want to go down Bobby's there. Bobby's furiously checking. I know. He'll Would find it be it. in Spanish or English? Both, actually. There's a proud to be Mexican rap, but I'm betting that's probably not it. Let's God. not play that. Yeah, we yeah, shouldn't. No. Uh, we need to. What do you call that when you need to uh, check to make sure it doesn't have any profanities in it or stuff that people? Oh. What do oh, you call that? Um, phrase? There's a phrase for that. Yeah, uh, of course I can't think. It's of a that. vetting of some kind. Yeah, like a filter. Hmm. Like before, you have something at a show, like in a concert or at a stadium. The sound guy, you go through the song to make sure that there's nothing in there. Oh. Uh. That's yeah. gonna. That's beyond my title. I don't know. What? How do we want to wrap up this show? Boy, 
Look at us hitting. Well, they say that the this is the dead <laughs> spot of the sports look at us schedule. You know, careening past the finish line here. How do you guys love my T-shirt? It's Tuesday somewhere, so you know what that means. It's Taco Tuesday. Do you? What is it today? Bryce, what is it? He says it's Tuesday somewhere. That's not true. <laughs> it's Taco Tuesday. Why are you so cold? It's a certain hour of the day somewhere, but it's not Tuesday somewhere. Maybe on a different planet. He didn't complete an international college, dateline. <laughs> he didn't go. It's not fair. He never enrolled. That's what uh, the international dateline. Right. So there's only two places. There's only that's a, just a different day. The international. Yeah, there aren't I seven guess international you could date do that lines, on a Monday Jonah. night, maybe. Speaking of LeBron, though, Jonah, we did have an item to discuss in the NBA, didn't we? As it relates to it's a big story. Is it though? No, it's not. But it's become a big story. I think some of the reaction, yeah, with the you know Jason Whitlock and, and I don't know who else. Skip, stool, Skip had a couple that stuff, have couple criticized of LeBron for Skip Feckless overzealous <laughs> celebration during his son's AU game, which I think some has been lost in the conversation that his son wasn't even on the floor for really the play where he runs on and loses his shoe, the one that everybody's kind of playing with these hot takes. Hey, by the way, before I forget, I've been remiss. I want everybody to watch 7.30 tomorrow on Channel 4 WIVB. It's the Buffalo Kickoff Live training camp special from St. John Fisher. I'll oh. be a part of the panel. I'll be in studio with Nick Filipowski. Oh, really? But tune in and get the thoughts on camp and the upcoming four preseason games from Josh Reed, Thad Brown, Sal Capaccio, and uh, and Nick Filipowski and me coming from the uh, studio. Damn. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be the best. No, on this show, is it like full? Are you going to offer a season prediction? I'm going to have a suit on. You're going to have a suit on? Yes. What? Oh, man. I'm going to have to shave, oh. and I'm going to have a suit on. <sighs> and I'm going to talk about foosball. And I'm going to talk about my player to watch for the preseason. Okay. Mid-tours. And... Uh, no, no well, spoilers. Be, so you know what? I might have to, to change him. it. It wasn't Mitch Morse, but yeah, player to watch in terms of whether he's out there or not. Not necessarily how good he is. Are they going to trade Lashawn McCoy? I I have no inside information on that. In fact, my inside inf- my information stacks up that I think they are happy to keep him. They don't need to move him. They have plenty of room under the cap. He has ability. Uh, There are no guarantees with Frank Gore, even though they love what they see out of Frank Gore so far, that he is in shape, that he's ready to go, the leadership, the whole thing. But at his age, there are no guarantees. There's no guarantee with a rookie in Devin Singletary. Uh, T.J. Yeldon obviously uh, has a proven track record uh, as a you know a reserve type back. He can help him out. Pass catcher, right? Uh, sure. Uh, so I th- but I think that it's a a classic by committee situation. And I think as of now, until one of the others can prove that they don't need Lashawn McCoy, I think they're happy to keep him. My my opinion is is that they sh- need to move him. How many because- running backs did they roster last year? Well, that's a great question. And you also have to factor in what they're going to do at fullback. So Pat DeMarco, 
who is the only fullback in training camp, but has been doing a lot of moving around in some flex, you know, tight end H back type things. Mm-hmm. You know, the, they're moving guys around. They're even lining up tight ends in the backfield now in terms of a like a pistol formation or a shotgun with uh, a running back and a tight end on either side of the quarterback. So we're seeing some different things in camp. So DeMarco, is he the fullback that he's been the last couple of years? Maybe not. So that maybe factors in. You're going to need a running back like Sonoris Perry who can play special teams. So mm-hmm. that's why I've a lot of people have talked about why give uh, OJ's number 32 to a guy who's not even going to make the team, what an insult or whatever it is. Uh, Sonoris Perry should make the team unless something strange happens. Um, so I think, yeah, you're looking at four and plus whatever DeMarco is. Okay. Uh, or maybe they get to a point where they decide, you five. know what, we're moving on. Well, it's going to be five, five plus DeMarco. Yeah, because you're not going to cut Yeldon, right? I mean, you could, but it looks so like... why would you? I mean, he'd be screwed five up guys. Like Did I miscount? <clears throat> Gore, McCoy, Singletary. Yeldon, Singletary, yeah, and then Perry. Perry yeah, and so then five. DeMarco. Yeah, so maybe six. So one of them's on the bubble, maybe right? Maybe six. I mean, DeMarco plays special teams also. You need it. You got you to gotta have players. And DeMarco also was a captain last year. He's... He's well thought of in that locker room. He's the NFL uh, Players Association representative. Oh, he's not um, getting released. Well, unless they get to a point where they decide this offense doesn't need what this guy offers, or if you know Pat DeMarco isn't a high skill player. He's a grit guy. He's a blocker. Uh, he's a reliable player in a lot of phases of the game that you want that fullback to be. But if they get into a position where they say. Uh, or they're so thin at tight end that they say we need an H, a more classic H back guy who can do a little bit more. They might have to let him go to bring in a, a different, you know, a guy at tight. You know, so I don't know. I'm not. I'm not ready to say that he's uh, a lock to make this team because there are some flux, some uh, fluctuations going on there on the offense. And Brian Dable's also doing some things that we haven't been used to or didn't he didn't do last year so he may evaluate they may evaluate the personnel um not may they're going to evaluate the personnel differently this year compared to last year uh we just don't know what to to what degree but the health of the tight ends could probably play into the running back Abs- question right for sure because of this formation that you're talking about the for sure and, all kinds yeah. of different things that they're doing they just need uh yeah they what? need live bodies in practice right now i think they're getting to the point where they're going to need to bring in just tight ends to run practices you know this dawson knox guy though i remember watching like just footage on draft weekend and he seems like a player like i don't want to say you know you don't want to put like lofty expectations on there but like i know like george kittle was like a fifth round pick right and just blew up out of nowhere does this guy have that same type of pass catching look to him in practice so far? Like a guy that could be a primary, like garner some targets. Make- and he's a player that when you, the hope for the Bills is that the the reason he didn't produce more at Ole Miss is because there were just too many people to get the ball to in that offense. And um, so, yeah, there are some things that we haven't really had a chance to see too much of him. You know, he's been a little banged up. He was a and- third or fourth, third. I think it was a third. I want to say Dawson Knox, but either way, I know it was like, yeah, third, third. We're guessing now. Yeah, no, that's all right. Jer- uh, Jerry, I almost called you. Jerry. <laughs> it's a long day, Tim. You brought up the obviously with the fullback. What about the if they get t- if they get low on tight end and and they get they get slim, um, 
what are they going to do if Dable has some kind of idea to revamp the offense? And we're hearing some stuff. Maybe he might use some kind of New England tactics with, you know, maybe double tight ends. A well, fullback. that's an assumption because yeah, absolutely. He, he coached tight ends with the New England Patriots. Yeah. But, you know, he was with the Patriots for a long time uh, before he became an offensive coordinator with Cleveland, mm-hmm. with the Miami Dolphins. Uh, and he, it's hard to implement New York. Uh, with, uh, it's hard. All right, let me stop for a second. See, it's we're all getting first first game back, or it's like uh, yeah, I'm knocking the rust off here. Yeah, it's hard to replicate a New England Patriots offense if you don't have Tom Brady. Oh, absolutely. And you don't. They haven't had a slot receiver. They're still working. the The Patriots when they first got Wes Welker, and then grooming the guy who was going to replace Wes Welker, that being Julian Edelman, mm-hmm. having the guys uh, on that team that you know there is a system in place. So. Josh Allen is almost like the antithesis of Tom Brady in that he's the yeah, gunslinger. He doesn't have the touch, accuracy. Being Discipline. a rookie, you hope he gets to this point someday, but the strength of Tom Brady uh, is in, and you talk to to opposing coaches or scouts, you know, people who I trust, the thing about Tom Brady that makes him so special is, is that he can identify your weak spot on any given play, and he... 99 times out of 100 will make the right decision, meaning um, there's always going to be somebody open. And sometimes players get into a position where a quarterback, where he's got, I'm anticipating where this guy's going to be open or where the matchup's going to be, and they don't quite read the defense correctly, or the guy, uh, you know, the the coverage is a little bit tighter than he anticipated, or whatever. There's all kinds of little variables. Whereas Tom Brady, you take a look at at a play, on film and you say okay what is the play you in a perfect world what's the best play to be made tom brady makes it he lo- he looks at the right guy and gets him the ball right mm-hmm. whereas josh allen in his second year and the whole you know getting being able to read a defense the he's seen everything or most things once tom brady has gotten to the point where he sees he's seen everything a thousand time. times right, right. And he sees it. He looks. He can break things down in film. You know the things like with Peyton Manning that he that always said that he was able to do uh, because he was uh, such a great film studier. So Josh Allen's going to need a lot more experience to get to that level. So I think it's foolhardy to think. All right, well Brian Dable can just put it in because he's so used to it. Right. He can't. Just the personnel's not there, and, yeah. or the fact that they haven't been running it for a fifth year. You know, a fifth straight year, whereas yeah. Tom Brady's been doing his for 19 straight years. Um, this is something where Brian Dable could come to the Bills with ex- the exact, he might know every secret there is to the New England Patriots offense and what makes it work, but you can't just come somewhere and, and implement it. Right. Well, unfortunately, now that's great. You could have every though. you could have every secret known to man and you could know exactly yeah. what to do. But if you don't have the right pilot in the seat. Uh, or the the right slot receiver to throw to, uh, the right running back who has the versatility to do to block and run, which is which are things that Patriots running backs seem to excel at. Yeah. Um, sometimes you just you have a running back who can't block. He's a great running back, but he can't block, so he's got to come off the field on third down because he can't protect on the blitz. Uh, and so now one of your great threats is not on the field on the most important down of the series, which is what happens with Adrian Peterson. When Adrian right. Peterson was rushing for two thousand yards or doing you know, whatever it was, you know his his awesome seasons, he he wasn't on the field on third downs because he couldn't block. So 
even as great as they are, once you're a liability, you know, that's the thing about the Patriots players. They find guys who are so well-rounded that they are not even at their even at their weakest trait, they're not a liability. If that makes sense. Yeah. Are All we right. seeing are we seeing chinks in the armor? Last question on the Patriots this year. Are we seeing a slowdown? Of that machine I at don't, all. I don't understand how you can subtract Rob Gronkowski and not get worse. Right. I think, and I've said this for five years now, I don't have a vote for uh, the Associated Press Awards, um, but there have been times within the past five years where I would pick t- uh, Rob Gronkowski to be the Patriots MVP over Tom Brady. Now, people think I'm stupid or think, how can you do that? Tom Brady makes Rob Gronkowski, blah, 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 blah. I don't. I think that he is such a weapon, and uh, I mean, top five QB to receiver hookup for TDs all time, right? Up and he's not Marvin even a receiver. And Andy Mark can, Clayton. And, Andy can block. Yeah. And when yeah. he's on the field, you don't know if the Patriots are running or throwing. Yeah. Most teams, when whoever the tight end is, you can say, well, clearly it's a running down. Lee, when Lee Smith's on the field, running down. Mm-hmm. When uh, whoever it would be, uh, Charles Clay. Charles Clay was on the field. Uh, last two seasons, they, he couldn't. He yeah. wasn't a. He was an okay blocker, but when he was out there, no, sorry, they're throwing. Uh, and so and he's you got a rookie wideout too. And so they they burned a first round pick. They have a rookie who's going to get a lot of targets, probably a lot of looks. So you put Rob Gronkowski on the field, and that was the no. There was no key for the defense. Now it, you can't replicate. He's going to come back. He's going to come back. He looks really thin. He's going to have to totally adjust yeah. his his physique, I think, to do it. I don't um, think I don't think they're going to need him. Well, that's yeah, the Patriot but you're, but fan. You're a fan. You. Yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm yeah. saying I'm saying Matt Lacoste. <laughs> they've had a couple different ads. I mean, they brought in Ben Watson. He was a killer yeah. for for Drew Brees last year. They, I mean, not reception wise, but you you and Matt your tight Lacoste. ends and Aaron Hernandez. Is that an Aaron Hernandez joke? Yeah. Yes. Actually, I had to put my sunglasses on prescription. To make sure that that was a Patriots shirt that Bobby's wearing today. <laughs> yeah. I right. Couldn't see it. Yes. Like yes. Yeah. All right, it's time to get out of here. It is. It Boys, is. thanks for uh, carrying me over the finish line for this show. Uh, my thanks to Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic for coming in and talking to the Bills. My thanks, of course, and always to at Sabres Prospects, Chris Baker, Absolutely. also of The Athletic, Jonah Bronstein of the Buffalo News, the Associated Press, the Niagara Gazette, LeBronstein, you can catch him on Twitter, at LeBronstein, Bobby Rosati. Diddling knobs, getting us proud to be from Canada. <laughs> he did some diddling today too. Like I saw what you All meant for the first over time. Over the place. Yeah. yeah. We we'll talk back. to you again yeah. next week on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270 the fans. I'm told it's everything a man can want, and I shouldn't complain.